Father, with our lives, with our hearts, with our actions, we desire to honor you. Father, we don't want to be just mediocre, to be dissatisfactory in our lives. But Father, we instead, we want to excel because of what you have done. Father, we want our lives to have meaning and purpose. And Father, without you, that is not possible. It is only possible without you to work our fingers to the bone, to get our gold watch at 65, to be pushed to the side. But Father, with you, what we do, how we live matters for all eternity. Father, as we talk today about you as sacrifice, your son as sacrifice, Father, we're just going to take a moment to acknowledge that. Lord, we're going to go to you and just ask for forgiveness for any sin or mistake or selfishness or struggle that we have in our lives that doesn't need to be there. Father, one of the ways that we can honor you is to be willing to admit that we are sinful, broken people. So we're just going to take a moment right now, each of us individually, and do just that. Father, forgive us of those things, Lord, so that we can come here this morning and worship you without anything on our minds or hearts other than you. Father, we're going to lay aside our week, we're going to lay aside our struggles, we're going to lie, lie aside all those things, and we're going to focus solely on you. Father, as we talk about again this morning that you are the substitute, that your son was a sacrifice for us, Father, we pray, Lord, that we would take hold of that, that we would no longer be bound to rituals, Father, but that we would be in relationship with you and drawn to you. Father, we ask for your Holy Spirit to be poured out on each of our lives to make a difference, to change us into your image. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Fellas, listen, I got something. Shorts down here. You think you could get somebody for me? Guys, listen, fellas. Hey. Ah, you guys are no help. I'm cold and I'm wet and there's nothing I can do about it. It's okay, Mikey. Mommy's here. Mommy's here. Yeah. Oh, very nice. That mommy person's here again. She's okay. I like her. Now, let me get this straight. I start crying, and she comes in with a bottle. Crying. Well, I can definitely handle crying. Nobody ever wanna love you. Oh, yeah. 
All right, I think we can agree that no one sacrifices more than moms, right? Um, especially when our kids figure out that crying actually does something. Um, well, today we're going to talk about someone who sacrifices even more than that. Yes, we're going to talk about Jesus, and we're going to talk about his sacrifice for us um, and how even though we cry a lot, um, that he is always patient and always willing um, to reach out to us and to love us and to be our substitute and redeemer, as we're going to talk about here um, this morning. All right, Jesus as Sacrifice is the series that we've been working through. It's our three-part series um, on why Jesus' death matters to us. You know, I thought it was weird um, this Easter because, you know, at Easter time, lots of people come to, come to church and then we don't see them again until next Easter. And usually when you have a celebration... Um, you celebrate something good, right? I mean, a birthday or something fun like that, and yet we come to celebrate a death, right? Which seems sort of counter to the whole purpose of celebration, right? I mean, we're here to celebrate um, Jesus' death at Easter. And so I thought, you know, let's do a series on why Jesus' death matters, because it's sort of easy in a really morbid sort of way if we just come in at Easter and we say, yay, Jesus died, all right. Uh, I'll see you at Easter time next year, right? But that's sort of morbid and sort of weird because it, there's more meaning to that. So why Jesus' death matters to us um, today. So here's our strategy. The first week, we talked about the backstory, right? And we spent a lot of time talking about the Old Testament and sort of this idea of sacrifice. Now, before your eyes glaze over and you go to sleep for a couple of minutes, just hold on, um, because here's what I want to do. One of the things that oftentimes happens is that when pastors or churches or they try to explain um, this Old Testament, this idea of sacrifice, um, they pull out charts and they pull out all these images and they say, here's a grain offering and here's a peace offering, and everybody's like... You know, what does that mean, right? And I think they missed the, the most important part, which is the fact that, as we talked about two weeks ago, that when God asked the, his people, the Israelites, thousands of years ago to make sacrifice, it was to be as training wheels, to teach people that when we make mistakes, that there's a cost or a significance to that. There's something that happens when we make mistakes, and that when we pay for those mistakes, that it should feel something. So we talked about like the first week, for example, um, because I know the idea of animal sacrifice is totally foreign to all of us, including myself, right? But we talked about the first week, even though that God required it, we gave an example, right? That if we, for example, were uh, living in ancient times, right? And we had a little house and a little garden and we had some sheep and goats and that sort of thing, that if we raised, let's say we had a little lamb and we called him Sam the lamb from two weeks ago, right? And we raised Sam the lamb, you know, to, to be a, a, a sizable lamb and then... Because of our mistakes, we had to go and sacrifice that lamb, right? Would that be fun? Would that be enjoyable? No, it would be very painful. It'd be, you know, horrible to have to do that, right? And so we talked about the fact that the Old Testament, in many ways, is like training wheels. It, it gives us the idea of what God is trying to communicate to us in a very simple way that anyone can understand, right? So, and then last week, that was the first week, we kind of did the backstory. And last week, um, we talked about the substitute. We talked about how instead of doing, going through these sacrifices that God intended for there to be a one-time substitute to pay for our mistakes. So let me give you an example. Um, if I go, in this example we've been using the last couple weeks, and we'll talk about it this week, but if I were to go this morning, I were to go and I I were to uh, take uh, Ramirez BMW, I've always wanted BMW, steal that thing, drive out here, go out of here on Capitol Avenue and run the red light. The camera gets me. There's no camera there, but you know, if we were in Phoenix, there'd be lots of cameras, right? Um, so the camera gets me, the cop pulls me over, right? 
I've run a red light. I have to stand before the judge, innocent or guilty, right? That's what I have to choose, not how I feel about it, whether I am innocent or whether I am, have guilt, right? And so what happens is the problem is we have to pay for that guilt some way. And as we go through our lives, we make mistakes, we struggle, we screw up, and we accumulate a lot of guilt in our lives. Some of you here this morning, you don't need to hear me say that because you already feel that when you wake up in the morning, um, you look in the mirror. And so what happens, if you're like me, and so what happens is we accumulate this guilt. And so we talked last week about how Jesus becomes the substitute for us and takes that, all that guilt that we have on his back, on his shoulders. That's what it means when he sacrifices for us because he is the one who takes our mistakes and takes his guilt on us. The other thing that we talked about uh, last week that it, it sort of got a good conversation going with many of you and myself and is the fact that why do you think that people in the ancient world confused the sacrifice with having faith in God let me ask it another way if you were in the ancient world and you were walking around town and you talked to someone a person who followed God and you asked them what do I have to do to be a follower of God what would they say what would you expect them to say well, if you've ever been to Sunday school or you've read any of the Old Testament, you would know you expect them to say what? Make sacrifice in the temple, right? But is that true? No. Listen, if you tell people today, let's just pretend you're going to admit to someone that you're a Christian, okay? You tell someone at work that you're a Christian, they think you're a Christian because you do what? Go to church. That's right. You perform a ritual. But the problem, as we talked about last week, is that ritual does not make us right with God. Whether it be sacrificing in the temple 4,000 years ago, whether it be going to church today, those rituals, even though some of them may be good, do not put us right with God. What does put us right with God? What is that clears the guilt from us and puts us back to being free, makes us innocent? What is it? Only the substitute that comes in Jesus. Only his willingness to be a sacrifice on our behalf makes us right with God. And then the cool thing is we're going to talk about today, it makes us completely free. All right, today we're going to focus on the finish. We're going to wrap these, some of these ideas up and just really hit home what we are called to do as believers because of Jesus' sacrifice for us. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 10. How many of you did your homework? Are you guys going to be more honest or less honest than the 930 service? That's the question, right? Um, okay, I don't usually assign homework, but Hebrews 9 and 10 is a difficult passage. It's got a lot of information in there. So if you didn't do your homework last week, go home, read Hebrews 9 and 10. You'll need to read it a couple times to get the picture of what God is explaining there. But we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 10. If you want to turn in your Bibles, you're welcome to do it. It's going to be up on the big screen as well. Hebrews chapter 10. All right, let's do it. But our high priest, and this is talking about Jesus here, but our high priest Jesus offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time, okay? So instead of us trying to do ritual, right, we come to church, we give a few bucks, we, we light a candle, and we think, okay, maybe that will get rid of the, of the fact that I lied to my boss this week. Maybe it'll get, you know, the fact that I flirted with the girl at Safeway this week, whatever, right? But it doesn't. Okay, are you laughing because of some guilt here? Okay, I don't know. All right. So it doesn't, though. It doesn't, okay? Only Jesus, as the high priest, offering himself to God, single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. And then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. We talked about this last week. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. The reason why the Bible talks about that is because, honestly, there are people in our world who really do hate God, right? And they really stand up against God at every opportunity. And so Jesus said, look, if you're here and you're a believer and you're trying to do what, what you're trying to do, just realize that God is going to take care of everything in the end. 
For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. That's talking about you if you have a relationship with God. We're going to develop that in a few minutes. And the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so. For he says, this is the new covenant, right? Covenant being a promise or an agreement. This is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts. And really, law is the wrong word here. Um, it really means his ethical code or his guidelines for your life. You know, his purpose and plan is a much better idea. I will put my purpose, my plans in your hearts, and I will write them on your minds. Then he says, I will never again remember their sins or lawless deeds, right? That's good. He's never going to remember, if we are a believer in him, any of our mistakes or any of the thing, any of our deeds that lead us away from God that are not a part of his purpose or plan. And when sins have been forgiven, remember sins are mistakes, brokenness, that sort of thing, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter into heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest, again Jesus, who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting Him. So we don't have time to develop this this morning. We'll do it in our life groups. But, you know, we can just walk right in to God and know Him and have a relationship with Him because Jesus is willing to be a substitute and sacrifice on our behalf. So we can go in with sincere hearts, fully trusting in Him. And real quickly here, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep His promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together, but encourage one another, fellow believers. Okay, two ideas that we're going to develop here this morning. Um, the first one I'm going to develop at length. The second one we're just going to finish up. It's going to recap everything that we've talked about. And, of course, if you know me, it's going to totally turn everything on its head. I like to do that. First idea that we're going to talk about this morning is that Jesus' sacrifice will make us whole. Okay, so we've been talking about the fact that when we go through life, right, that our struggle is with our guilt. I mean, our struggle is with the fact that we cannot seem to make ourselves whole, right? I mean, again, using the example of me getting out here on Capitol, I drive down, I, I run the red light, the cop pulls me over and it says, okay, here's your little certificate for running the red light, right? And on it, I have to decide between innocent um, or guilty, and it's not what I feel, you know, it's not whether I feel guilty, because feeling doesn't really matter, it's whether I am guilty or not, right? Innocent or guilty, I have to go before the judge, and I have to somehow pay for that ticket, right? And the problem is, is that as we go through our lives, this is what we struggle with, because our struggle is to be made whole, our struggle is to be made right. I mean, when we look in the mirrors, a lot of times, we see what? If we look in the mirror and look at ourselves, we don't often see someone that's perfect, right? We see someone who kind of makes mistakes and kind of struggles. That's what I see, right? By the way, I, was, I use this later in the message, but I'm going to mention it here too. We all know that like 2% of people who look in the mirror and they think that they're awesome, right? Um, but that's none of us here, okay? Those kind of people don't come to church because you can't convince them to come because part of us being here knows that we are broken and that we make mistakes and that we need someone beyond ourselves to help us to overcome those mistakes. And we want to be whole, right? And that's exactly what Jesus substitute. That's exactly what his sacrifice does for us is make us whole. A couple things that we're going to work down through here this morning. First of all is this. Jesus was the perfect solution to free us from our guilt. Last week we talked about how that when we encounter guilt in our lives, it is easy for us to think or to try to scheme our way into other ideas to pay for that guilt, right? 
So, for example, when we stand before the judge, it's easy for us to think, hmm, how can I get out of this, right? What excuse can I give to get out of it so I don't have to pay a ticket? What excuse can I give so I don't have to go and do community service? What do I do, right? I mean, this is the issue. And one of the things that I thought of last week and we talked about last week is the idea of substitution, right? I mean, we talked about this a lot last week, and it's like this. If I stand before the judge... And the judge says, you know, Douglas, you ran the red light. You got to pay for it. And I don't have the money in my pocket, right? So I'm like, okay, I can't do that. Can't pay for it anyway. So I have an idea. Judge, what if I convince someone to do my community service for me, pay for me? Well, as we talked about last week, the judge would be like, in theory, would be like, cool. Because I don't care. The state of California, as long as it gets its money, as long as it gets its public service, it don't care who does it, Right. So I go out and I get some homeless person to come in, right? I say, look, I'll give you 50 bucks and a meal. If you come in and you, uh, you know, you, you, you take the penalty for me, you do my hours of community service, you do all that stuff, and the homeless guy comes in and says, okay, I'll do it, judge. And the judge says, what? No. Why no? No, because the homeless guy has to deal with his own issues, right? The judge says, I know you. You're out there panhandling every day. Did you know California Code? 76-425 says you cannot panhandle out there on the corner of the freeway. No, no, no. You cannot, you cannot be a substitute, right? So the thing is, is that we need someone who can be a substitute, can be a solution to our guilt and to our mistakes, right? Let me ask you a question. When you go to work tomorrow morning and your boss says, hey, listen, we've got to solve this account is, is, is really messed up. There's a lot of bickering and a lot of disagreement on the other side of the fence. You and your team need to get together and you need to figure out a solution to the problem so that this account will be happy, so that these people will be happy, right? So they will solve the problem. So you and your team, you get together and you sit down in the conference room for a few minutes and you, you guys think about it, talk about it, and real world example now. You go out of the conference room and you go to your boss and you say, we're all 100% agreement, we have a 100% solution that will solve it. Is that what happens in your day-to-day -day work? Come on, don't lie to me. No, what happens? Some of you are being honest this morning. No, what happens? You go in the conference room, you fight about it, right? And one person says, well, I think we should do this. I think we should do that. Why? Well, you did, we got to do what you do last week. I want to do what I want this week, right? And we fight about it, and we argue about it, and we don't come to a solution. And then we go to our boss, we say, well, we've got solution A, and that's like a 30% chance of working. And we've got solution B, and that's like a 50% chance of solution. So most of us think we should go with solution B, right? Do we want that kind of life? Do we want to have our brokenness and our sinfulness 30% covered, 50% covered, partially covered? Why is it that we go through ritual rather than trusting in God? We're going to pick that up in a minute. But what we really want in life is for it to be perfect. We want a perfect solution to free us from all of our mistakes, all of our guilt, all of our problems, right? We don't want something partial. We want a complete and total solution. If I could say to you today, for $50, I will give you a complete and total solution to all of your financial problems. We'll use finances because that's the one that everybody gets all crazy about. Or for $100, I'll give you a partial, partial solution to all your financial problems. Which one are you going to pick? Okay. Let's try this again. $50 buys you a complete solution to all your financial problems. $100 buys 
partial solution to all your financial problems, which one are you going to pick? $50. But see, that's weird. That's why nobody answered, right? Because you're like, well, it must be a trick because how, I mean, why would you offer it more? Well, here's the trick. This is the way the trick that is played on all of us, right? Because here's the problem. As we talked about last week, we are tempted to go through ritual. We are tempted to go through ritual rather than going to God and allowing God to be the solution to our problems, right? Well, here's what happens. I'm a pastor. I know you can't lie to me. Lots of people come into the door of the church, right? They come in and they, they come, they, they light a candle, they put a few bucks in the offering plate. What are they trying to do? They're trying to get right with God. But it doesn't work. The Bible says that doesn't work. That's just a ritual. But instead, God offers a complete freedom from all of our mistakes and all of our sinfulness, all the things that we've ever done wrong if we just do what? Simply recognize in faith that God is God and wants to have relationship with us. That's it, right? From the beginning of time, that's it. You can go all the way back 4,000 years ago. Job says what? I know that my Redeemer lives and one day he will walk upon the earth, right? Not king, not anything else, but that someone who can be a complete solution. That's what a redeemer is. Someone who goes, takes something that is not worth anything, flips it on its head, and makes it worth something of value. That's what a redeemer does, right? And so what happens is, is that we want freedom. We want to be free. We want a perfect solution, not a partial solution, right? But the, here's the thing. We as people, we, it's very easy for us to become very hard-hearted, to go through life, right, and to just think, no, you know, it's not really possible for God to forgive me. No, instead, I got to come and do something. I got to pay somebody. I got to scheme my way. I got to do something rather than be right with God. Let me just pick up this point here. His sacrifice pushes us from broken to complete. This is what happens. Let me just pick this up in, in the Bible here. Um, Verse 14, for by that one offering, he forever made us made perfect those who are being made holy. See, here's what's really cool, because when we accept Jesus as a sacrifice, right, when we stop trying to, you know, do ritual, when we're honest, we look in the mirror and say, you know what, I cannot do this myself. I cannot be the one who solves my problems, my family's problems. There's got to be someone else. It's got to be someone greater than me. And we actually allow God to be the answer. Not a partial answer, but the complete answer. We allow Jesus to be the substitute for our mistake, to stand in our place so that all the guilt that we've accumulated, God just simply washes away and just says, you are now free, right? What does that do? It pushes us from brokenness to completion. And here's what it says, for by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Because what happens? What happens is, is that at that point in time, we don't partially become perfect. We don't become, you know, maybe possibly perfect. But, but, but the Bible says that what happens is, is that when Jesus becomes a substitute in our place, and as we start taking those baby steps towards relationship with God and towards living our lives according to his plan, that in the future, that he has already said that we will be perfect and without any more sin or blemish or mistake, period, when we stand before him. Now, that's pretty cool, right? We're going to pick that up idea up in just a second. But, I mean, here's the thing. A lot of us, we struggle with this because we think God can't do that, right? I mean, one of the people that are afraid to come, one of the types of people that are afraid to come to church are the kind that know what? That know that they've got a lot of sinfulness in their lives, right? And what do they say? They say, God can't possibly forgive me. But that's not true. Because it's not anything about you, it's about Jesus being the substitute on our behalf. Listen, I don't know about you, but if it was like 
okay, Douglas, you have to figure out a way to get right with God. I would screw it up. How about you? Right? You know, true story. Um, I have a relative who is in the, if you look at the spectrum of different people, he's on the side that thinks that he's perfect, right? And he knows he's perfect, and if you don't tell him he's perfect, he wonders what's wrong with you, right? And he's also pretty smart, and so he thinks that, you know, he's the smartest guy on the planet. And so one time, he actually did get pulled by the cop. True story, totally true story. Got pulled by the cop, and so instead of, you know, um, paying the ticket, he thought, well, I'm going to go and I'm going to show them so he studied everything he could up on radar systems and the telemetry of this and that because he's scientist type, right? And so he went to court, and the judge was there, and the cop was there, and the judge says, okay, you know, the cop, you know, uh, got you speeding. What do you, how, what do you say? And he said, I'm innocent, and then let me tell you why. So he went and explained how radar works and telemetry, and I'm just using false words here. I don't know anything about radar, but how it bounces around, and he was showing these mathematical things. And so the judge is like, Okay, you know what? Let's just call it even. You know, we'll call it a day, right? And so this person, when he got done with the presentation, he just looked over at the cop and judge, and he did what? Smirked. He said, I got you. I got you. You know what the judge did? The judge said, okay, okay, come back here. Come back here right now. You're going to pay full for everything that you did. You're going to pay for it. You are. So the problem is, is that even though he had tried to prove his way out of it, what did he do? He screwed it up in the end, right? Well, I don't know about you, but I'd be worried I would do that too, right? Which is why it's important for Jesus to do it for us, right? Because if we're always trying to appease God and be right with him, we're going to screw it up at some point. But Jesus becomes the perfect sacrifice on our behalf. And not only does that, he makes us be right, right? The Bible says with Abraham in Genesis that God credited to Abraham righteousness. You know what that means? Long before credit cards ever had an idea, right? God said, listen, even though Abraham is not righteous, even though he is not good, even though he is not the person that he needs to be, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt, and I'm going to extend my perfection, my righteousness on his behalf, right? And that's what happens, because when we allow Christ to be the substitute for us, what happens? What happens is, is that we start looking towards God instead of ourselves and knowing that God is credited to our account complete righteousness that when we stand before him will be the norm for us. No more mistakes, no more looking in the mirror and feeling bad, no more sinfulness, no more struggle because those things have passed away. Why? Because of Christ's perfect sacrifice for us, his substitution for us frees us, but not only does it free us to just wander around without any sense or purpose, but actually completes us and makes us into the person that God intends for us to be. Oh, I know, we still have a struggle here. I mean, on earth, we still have a struggle, and there'll be times where we will want to do what? Slip back into ritual, where we'll want to try to come into church and appease God, rather than just relating to Him and knowing Him. So a sacrifice pushes us from broken to complete. Let me give an example. Oh, let me just say this. Remember, God is holy, meaning complete, whole, pure, integral. This is God's desire for us as well. This is the thing. When we try to appease it ourselves, we come to church and we say, you know what, um, I cheated on my taxes, so I wonder how much I should give. Uh, 20, uh, 15. Okay, 15, right? And that somehow will make me right with God. But it doesn't work like that because that's just us trying to appease ourselves, right? Trying to make other people happy, trying to make ourselves happy, trying to make us not feel guilty anymore. 
Instead, all we have to do is go to God and just say, God, I know and I want Jesus to be that substitute for me that completely frees me from all the mistakes that I've ever made, right? Because I want to be whole and I want to be complete. I want to be integral. I don't want to keep screwing up. I want to be the person that you intended for me to be, right? Our eyes and our hearts open to a new worldview. This is what happens, right? Because when we become a follower of Jesus and we allow him to be a substitute and a sacrifice for ourselves, then something changes, right? On the back end, the far end, what changes? Well, we have the promise of being complete, the promise of being whole, right? That's what changes. But also what changes is starting today that the Bible says that just in the passage I just read that we are start be even then we take baby steps towards that wholeness, baby steps towards that completion, right? It also says that our eyes are and hearts are open to a different way of looking at the world. Starting in verse 16, this is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my my code, my purpose into their lives, in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds, right? So here's the thing. We we wander around aimlessly when we do not have Christ. When we are trying to appease God and make ourselves feel better, we wander around aimlessly. Rather than when we become a believer in Jesus and we have him as a substitute, we're free, right? And so God opens our eyes and allows us to move forward in relationship with him. It even allows us to really understand the purpose for our lives and to move into a better place. You know, the Bible is very clear that without Jesus as our substitute, without acknowledging him, having him as a sacrifice, what happens? What happens is, is that we continually will make the wrong choice most of the time. That we are bound to our sinfulness, to our brokenness, right? But that when Christ comes and sacrifices for us and we accept that sacrifice and we don't spend all our time trying to appease God, try to figure out what he wants, try to make him happy, right? We just are trying to know him and relate to him. That frees us up to not make the same mistake over and over again. Oh, I know it's going to be difficult, right? Because we want to keep on going back. But without it, we have a different view of the world. Things look differently. Look, let me, let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. I don't know about you, but I've worked in jobs where um, it was unclear what the purpose was, right? You go to work and you do the job, but it's like you never make your boss happy, right? And you keep working, you keep working, you keep doing what you think is right, but your boss doesn't really like you and just never seems to really be on your side, right? And if you're the boss here, just be quiet, and we'll have a learning lesson in just a minute, right? But, you, you, you know, you're trying, and, and, and your bo- it, just, it never seems to work, right? And you say, you know, if I could just know what I'm supposed to do to make him happy, I would do it, right? I would do it. Okay, here's the thing. God doesn't want you to go through rituals. He wants you to just know him and look to his purpose and plan in your life. But what do we do? We fight against it, right? Because we do our job. We get up in the morning and we go to work and we tread water and tread water and tread water, right, of our lives. And we think we're getting somewhere and we think, why aren't we making ourselves happy? Why aren't we making our family happy? Why I'm dog paddling, but whatever. Why aren't we... You know, making God happy, why isn't things working and it's not working at all? Why? Because we're not doing what God asks us to do. $50 for a complete solution, $100 for a broken solution. How many of you want the $100 for a broken solution, partial solution? 
right? We all do. We, we, you, we don't, but we gravitate towards that one, right? We do. We gravitate towards that one when God says, listen, if you just allow Jesus to be the sacrifice and substitute for you, that I will eliminate all of your mistakes and you will be free to go and live your life according to my plan, right? That's a pretty good deal. Should have like a game show because that's like the ultimate prize. That's a really good deal. Our eyes and hearts are open to a completely new and different worldview when we allow God to do it. And our selfishness and brokenness come to an end. This is a really cool passage. This is a really cool verse in the Bible right here. It says in verse 18. Then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds, right? Because all of our mistakes will be completely forgotten. And when sins have been forgiven, there's no need to offer any more sacrifices. That's it, right? We can call it a day. We can go home, right? No more sacrifice. Jesus doesn't, need, Jesus doesn't need to sacrifice for us at that point any longer because we say we're free, right? We're free. He died for us. He's substitute for us. We try to appease. We stop appeasing. We stop giving in to that. We follow God's plan for our lives. And what happens? We become more and more free. We take that road, those steps towards being right with God, towards being perfect and whole and complete as he is, right? Listen, for many of you, you have been convinced by this world that your selfishness, your brokenness, your sinfulness, my selfishness, my brokenness, my sinfulness cannot come to an end. Your spouses tell you that all the time, don't they? Right? Hmm. My spouse is not here, so I can be honest. Yes. <laughs> Right? We feel like it's never-ending battle, but yet it is going to come to an end. But it can't come to an end if we are the ones who are trying to fix it. Why? Because we run around in circles. You know, if you looked, if you could chart the average person's life from the time they're born to the time they die, the average person, the person without God, what's their life look like? Is it a beautiful trajectory to the sky? No. What is it? Running around in circles, right? Trying to do this, trying to do that, trying to make their boss happy, trying to make their kids happy, trying to make their spouse happy, right? And then they're just like, man, I'm glad to be dead. <laughs> I don't have to work anymore. I don't have to fight anymore. But that's not the way it's supposed to be. That's not the way God designed life to be, to be a rat race where we just simply work until we die and then we're glad to have some peace and quiet. I'm a man. I, I like peace and quiet, right? So that's my temptation. Our selfishness and brokenness comes to an end. That's awesome because when we just simply take hold of God, then we move from brokenness to righteousness. Oh, it's not 100% there yet. No, no, no. We still struggle, but that God ends it. It comes to a conclusion one day. And when we stand before God and we sit down with him at his table, right, then we have no more brokenness. There's no more sacrifice. There's no more struggle. There's no more ritual. There's no more appeasement. None of those things, right, because it's just us knowing him, relating with him, knowing our friends and family members, relating with them. But it comes because we are allowing Jesus to be the sacrifice and the substitute in our life, right? And that's what we cannot believe because why someone else would be willing to sacrifice for us when we are not willing to sacrifice even for our friends or our families or our spouses. <clears throat> I know that because I could go to any of you today and ask you, can I borrow $1,000? And you would all say, 
No, that's right. But I have a need. No, because we're not willing to sacrifice for each other. But when we see that God is willing to sacrifice for us, it blows our minds and it makes us really weirded out because he cares and loves us enough that he is willing to do that. And you know what? It causes our selfishness and brokenness to come to an end. We're going to just finish up here this morning. I know you guys are getting hungry, but Jesus' sacrifice will make us sacrifice. So I'm going to totally turn everything I've said on its head just for a second because here's the thing. Our sacrifices to God doesn't do any good, right? It doesn't make us right with God, whether we're sacrificing animals 2,000, 3,000 years ago, or whether we come to church today and throw 50 bucks in the offering plate, doesn't do any good to put us right with God. Sorry, doesn't do it. Read the Bible, doesn't do it, right? Well, then why do we come? Are we here for all the free food? Or is there another reason? Is there good in making sacrifice? in the ancient world. Well, there was, right? Because we talked about this already last week. Because it taught us that when we have to sacrifice something that's painful, right? That there's, there's a cost to it, right? And when Jesus was willing to come and be a sacrifice for us, there was a cost, right? Because he was willing to give his life, and that was a cost. But it also is a sacrifice for us today, right? And there, there's an issue, there's a cost there. Why? Because God wants us to now live as if we really do have a substitute, right? Before we didn't have a substitute, before we didn't have a sacrifice, what did we do? We got up on uh, Monday morning and we just try to figure out how to make it through this life, right? Well, I don't know. Well, let's do, okay, let's just go to the movies. We'll forget about it. Let's forget about this life, right? But now that our eyes have been opened and we are free from our mistakes and our sinfulness, God calls us to do what? To live our lives as if it really mattered, as if it really made a difference. Let me give you two examples real quickly here. Today, our sacrifice doesn't pay for our sins. Doesn't. Doesn't do that. Doesn't appease us. Doesn't, doesn't, can't appease God. Can't do anything. All right? But let's read this passage. Hebrews 13, the end of the book. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. And don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God, right? So after spending the whole book of Hebrews saying sacrifice is not what God requires, what does he say? Offer continual sacrifice. Why? Because we love God. Let me tell you something. I know the kind of world that we live in. Because if Ramir comes out here this morning, he says, Pastor, I've been hearing your message, and uh, you've laid it on my heart. I'm going to give you my BMW. I know you've always won BMW. I know it's a, not a late model BMW, but I'm going to give it to you. And I want you to have it, right? Then I'm going to take the keys to this car, and I'm going to say, man, this is awesome. Actually, I don't like BMWs, no offense, but whatever. I take the keys to his car, right? And the next Sunday, what am I going to do? I'm going to be a jerk to Ramir, right? Because that's what he deserves for giving me a car. Well, that's kind of the way we live in our world. But what would we do? What did our mamas teach us to do? We should say thank you. And we should show our appreciation to him, right? Why? Because we sincerely appreciate what he did and know that he cares enough for, uh, for me that he was willing to sacrifice on my behalf. Why do we offer sacrifices today? Why do we come to church? Why do we give? Why do we go to life groups? Why do we meet together? Why do we give to the poor? Why do we love our neighbors, which just means people around us that we know, our coworkers, our families? Why do we offer those sacrifices to God today? Because we should love him enough and care enough about him and what he did for us that it should change our lives. And this is the problem, isn't it, folks? Because here's the thing. I'm a pastor. You can't lie to me. 
I mean, you could try, but I'll see through it, right? So what happens is I see people come in all the time. Now, BBC is an awesome church, best church I've ever served in, but I see people all the time. They come in, they come out, right? And they say, yeah, pastor, I'm a Christian. Are they just a cultural Christian? We talked about this a few weeks ago, right? But they say, okay, I'm a Christian. But then when I see their lives, I don't see any appreciation for what God's done. What does that mean? Well, maybe that means you've never really allowed God to be the substitute and sacrifice for you. Maybe you're just trying to do it on your own. Maybe you really hope that you can just show up to church occasionally, throw a few bucks in the offering plate, and somehow it will make your life better, and it won't. Or maybe we've just been taught by this world that we don't need to serve God because we just don't care. Or we're not supposed to say thanks and be appreciative, right? God doesn't need us to do anything. But if we love him, we will serve him, and we'll do what he calls us to do and he asks, right? I hope that my kids don't grow up, and because of all the things I did for them, they say, well, Dad, I don't give a rip about you, right? How would that make us feel as parents, as moms? Bad, right? It would make us feel bad. We don't want our kids to be like that. Well, it starts with us not being that way with God, right? And when we model that for our kids, what do they see for us? They want to be that same way too, right? When they see us willing to love someone else, to love God in such a great way that it changes our lives, it's just natural that they will want to do the same with you as the parent and with God as their Heavenly Father. But it starts with us, right? Here's the thing. Our sacrifice simply shows whether we love God. That's what it comes down to. That's where the rubber meets the road. It's very easy for you to sit here and say, okay, I got it. I'm going to allow Jesus to be my substitute. But the question is, will we love God enough to sacrifice on his behalf? Or will we go to work on Monday and everything be same old, same old, same way it always was? Let's pray. Let's pray. With all heads bowed, all eyes closed, just for a second, we're just going to go to God and pray. First of all, I just want to give an offer. If there's anyone here this morning with all heads bowed, all eyes closed, who says, you know what, Pastor? I've been going through the rituals now for years. I've just never really been willing to just submit my life to God. I've never been willing to allow Him to be the substitute. I keep trying to appease Him. I keep trying to do these other things, scheme my way, buy my way. Maybe you're here this morning for the first time, and you want to say, I want to know God and have relationship with Him through Jesus' sacrifice. Anyone here first time, just lift up your hand, and I'll pray for you. Any first time people? All right, let me, just lift, let me just pray for those with uplifted hands. Father, Lord, I just ask that those with uplifted hands would be able to say, yes, God, I don't want to rely on ritual anymore, but I want to completely turn over all the mistakes in my life to you, and I want you to be my God and my Savior. Thank you for sending Jesus to be my substitute. I can't pay for my mistakes, and I don't want to. I want Jesus to do all that. I commit my life to Jesus and allow him to be my Savior. And for all of us here this morning, Father, Lord, I just pray that for those of us who have never made that decision, that soon would be the day that they would do that. And Father, for those of us who have made a decision and we have followed Jesus and we have committed our lives to him, Father, may we show our love and appreciation for him by serving him. Not just being, you know, Velcroed to the pew, Father, but being, doing, and loving and doing what you call us to do, to have a sacrificial life on his behalf because of our love for him. Father, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.